Hello and welcome to Speak Female, a podcast for ambitious and career-driven women. Speak Female means changing the meaning around words and phrases that are associated with women, or in fact have a negative association. It is about how we can and will edit the narrative to build a more understanding, diverse and balanced world and of course workplace. In every other episode, I interview an inspirational individual around an array of subjects, from financial independence, being an entrepreneur and women in tech, to transitioning career, female empowerment and mental health. Hello and welcome to Speak Female. Today I'm joined by Rachel Hortella. Rachel is a content coach. She works with female entrepreneurs across the globe, helping them to gain clarity around their business by uncovering their message and revealing their voice and empowering them to use their message and voice through content that attracts, connects and engages with their ideal client, helping them to grow profitable businesses. She's been writing online copy and content for female entrepreneurs since 2015. Before that, she worked with hundreds of small and medium-sized businesses in her corporate finance career. And before that, she built a beauty company from scratch. Hello, Rachel, and welcome to the very first episode of Speak Female. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. So, Rachel, I'm going to jump straight in and ask you about financial independence. I know that one of your big beliefs is that there's such an important message about women being financially independent. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I believe that when a woman is financially independent, when she has the money to make her own decisions in her life, she has more of a say in her life, which means that she has more of a say in the world. And the world needs a louder female voice. I mean, oh my word, we have seen that you know, so amplified over the last few months with um, the COVID situation. Um, absolutely, you know, the, the, the countries that were, um, that are led by women are the countries that have done the best during this crisis. And if that doesn't tell us all we need to know, well, I don't know what does. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. So working with female entrepreneurs, Do you ever see imposter syndrome coming up with your clients? I see imposter syndrome in virtually every single client that I work with. I would say it is the number one thing that holds people back. People think it, um, you know, it's maybe confidence, but when we boil it down, it's always that imposter syndrome that women don't feel good enough. They don't feel... Um, like they should be out there and shouting about how good they are, um, you know, in what in what they do and how they can serve the world. My job is to help women to create content that basically sells their business to their audiences. And whereas my my clients know that they're good at what they do and that they can help their clients, actually verbalizing that, saying that out loud and saying that publicly that I am good, I can help you, I am the solution you need to their audience is really hard for them to do because as women particularly, we were not encouraged to shout about our, um, you know, how good we are. You know, if you if you say I am good at X, Y, Z, you're talking about both. You know, you you feel like you're boasting. You're t- being told that you're showing off, and that you're, you know, kind of oh, good girls, nice girls don't don't tell people. 
that, you know, and I think, I don't think it's a uniquely female trait. I think a lot of men suffer from this as well, but it is a lot stronger driving force when it comes to women. And I absolutely believe that that imposter syndrome is what holds women back. What would you say would be a good technique to overcoming an imposter syndrome or perhaps not overcoming, but um, tackling imposter syndrome when that feeling kind of occurs? So as with anything, confidence, um, imposter syndrome, oh, you know, developing confidence as your antidote to the imposter syndrome is a muscle that needs um, kind of building. You need to practice every day. And in um, my content, I talk about showing up every day in your business. And absolutely, the more you show up, the more you get out there and tell people Um, the more you will hear that message yourself because you know messages go both ways so if you're telling people that you're good at that that you're good at something you're gonna your subconscious is going to keep hearing that and you're going to start believing it so you know keep keeping on keeping on is absolutely vital it is showing up regardless of how you feel kind of allowing yourself to put that imposter syndrome on the shelf, in a bucket, in a box, whatever, to the side of your desk and go, okay, I acknowledge that you're there, but I'm going to do this anyway, because if I don't do this, my business is not going to grow and I'm not going to earn the money I need, or I'm not going to have the freedom that I need because most women start their own businesses um, to have freedom, not money. Um, you know, whether that's freedom to have flexibility with picking their kids up or whatever. But if you remember the reason you started your business and the reason you need your business to work, then that will help you power through that imposter syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you shared that with us. Thank you. So I want to kind of go back a little bit to um, back when you were doing your finance career in the in the corporate world. You and I have talked a lot about policies and procedures in the workplace and about women taking time off. And I just wanted you or to ask you really around the conversations that we've previously had that we see a lot of, you know, women have children and therefore they are they can go part time. But talk to me around your notion around that. Yeah, there's so much talk about flexibility for women in the workplace. But when you look at that, and you don't need to look very closely, it is all related to mothers. It's about um, women having children. And um, I think, you know, personally, I find that unfair, partly because I don't have children. And therefore, as a childless, child-free woman in the workplace, you are kind of lent on a lot more heavily um you know you are at the bottom of the list for you know um, Christmas holidays and when you have time off um and for you know having Mondays and Fridays off because your colleagues are working um you know they've got um part-time roles which means because um they have priority because they have children well people have other things outside of their lives other than children that may want you may lead you to want you to work fewer hours or more flexible hours and that isn't taken into consideration that all female experiences in the world and also male because I think it's very difficult for men to want to go part-time as well you know I think we should absolutely 
you know, there isn't, you know, if you have children, yes, you have more of a pressure in your outside world and you need that flexibility, but so does everybody else. And we have to remember that in this day and age, having children is a choice. You choose to have children and you choose to have that impact on your career. That is down to you. Um, so I, I do think that when we talk about flexibility and women in the, in the workplace and mobility, female mobility in the workplace, more importantly, that we can take into account more than just the mother aspect of it. When I, um, I think they, it was Madeleine Albright, she's Secretary of State in the America, she said that there is a special place in how for women who don't help other women. Yeah. Now, yeah. when I look back after our last conversation, I was been thinking, and I was thinking, who was it who, you know, whenever I felt held back in my career, it was always women, female managers who kept me back way more than male, male managers and I think that is a problem that needs addressing in the workplace in the corporate space women helping other women not talking about positive discrimination but women realizing that there is you know space for more than one woman at that top table I I remember that there was um in one of my roles were in corporate finance my manager was exactly the same age as me we our birthdays are the same week and we went to the same university at the same time so we had the same level of education exactly the same kind of trajectory to that point but when um when this kind of interaction happened she had risen to three levels above me which is extremely senior at that point I wanted to move one level up and she said, no, I don't think you've paid your dues. Gosh. Um, yeah. And That's... I find it very hard to forgive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would as well. And I think people that are listening to this now would also, also agree with you. So the gender pay gap has been in the papers for as long as I can remember. And I'm sure that you you remember seeing it too and experiencing it as well. I was wondering whether you could tell us um, anything about when you was in the corporate world around experiencing that kind of gender imbalance. So obviously I worked in corporate finance and I was there seven years. I started off in kind of like a, um, uh, a middle to low level and I worked my way up to a more senior level. As I moved through my career and my positions, the number of male to female um, colleague ratio changed massively. My first job, um, which was very much um, an admin support kind of role, there was a team of about 15 of us and there was one male in that team. As I moved up to a more senior role in my last role in the bank, which was a very technical banking, actual you know, banking role, where I was making um, you know, quite high level financial decisions on behalf of the bank, there was a team of 17 and there was two women and 15 men in that team. So you know, the, it was very clear to me as I moved up through the bank, how that um, kind of situation changed and you got more senior, you had fewer women. Now, eventually after the, um, the whole banking crisis and everything, I got made redundant from my, my banking um, role. 
um, there was a decision to be made in my team and there was two of us down to be made redundant for whatever reason we were there there was too many of us at our level in our team and there was me and there was a guy and you know me a married woman but without children and the guy was um he just had a young baby and I can't help but think considering how we both worked in the team our level of expertise our level of dedication to the team I don't believe that the fact that he had a family was not a factor in my redundancy not his gosh yeah Thank you for sharing that story. And just on the subject of redundancies, because obviously we're recording this in COVID-19 times, we're obviously seeing a lot of redundancies at the moment. And just from your experience of being uh, made redundant and going through that motion, is there any advice or any hints or tips you could give to anyone listening to this podcast today around how they could manage redundancies? So the first thing is, um, it is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the road. I was upset when I got made redundant because I loved my job. I did genuinely enjoy my job. I love the people I work with, even though I feel that there may have been some discrimination at the end. It, it, it certainly wasn't personal. You know, my, my, my manager apologised to me for, for having to, to choose me to be made redundant. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, like I say, I think there may be some kind of other reasons behind that. But I know it wasn't because my face didn't fit or because of this, that and the other, you know, I and I genuinely on my last day of work, I, I got in my car and I sat and I cried in the car park for half an hour <laughs> because I was sad to leave my job. I was sad to leave the people that I work with. However, looking back and that was seven years ago um next week so you know I've got a lot of distance from that now and it was absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me I you know it really really was because I chose to make the best of it and I think that's I believe that with any um absolutely any um situation in your life you have to choose how you're going to handle it so for me redundancy financially um you know I I got a, um a decent payoff but also I was lucky enough to be be able to support it by my husband so I had that breathing space but you know I had to decide what to do next I couldn't sit on the sofa eating bonbons for the rest of my life so <laughs> I you know you have to don't move too quickly you know take your time to decide what you want to do next rather than having that um immediate reaction oh my god I've got to go and find another job sit back reflect what is it that you actually really want to do now because you don't get that many opportunities in your life to choose what it well you do every single morning you get that but you don't realize you get to choose every single day what it is you want to do with your life I think redundancy is an amazing opportunity to sit back reflect on what you want to do with your life what you want to do in the world what you want to bring in the world and how you want to live your life it's like a, to quote the government it's a fire break it's a circuit breaker because we get on this train we go to school we go to university we get that first job we move up through the ranks and then oh okay well then we're going to get pregnant or get married and get pregnant and you know and, and it's like we're set on this path and we don't have to stay on the path if that's not for us. 
So I think it's a great, great opportunity to sit back and go, okay, where am I going? Is that where I want to go? Is that what I still wanted? You know, this career that I picked when I was 22, when I came out of the university, is it still what I want to be doing? Is it feeding me? What else could I do? What did I want to do when I was that little girl growing up? And reflect on that, you know, because quite often with my clients, I find that they're starting businesses now in their 30s and 40s and 50s and that absolutely reflects the passions of what they were into when they were seven years old and it is now filling their hearts and giving them so much more satisfaction than it ever did before and you know i know that running your own business isn't for everybody you know it does take a very certain kind of person and a lot of people will argue that running your own business is something that's not secure. But having been made redundant myself, my husband has been made redundant. You know, if you're listening to this and you're interested in what I'm saying, it's probably because you've been made redundant. Having a corporate career is no more safe and secure than running your own business. In fact, when you have your own business, you have so much more control over your destiny. And I couldn't agree more with you, Rachel, especially in this day and age now. I remember back in my parents and grandparents era when having a job was having a job for life, whereas nowadays it isn't like that anymore. And especially in the current climate, I've definitely seen a lot more female entrepreneurs really thrive in this disaster movie of 2020, if I can call it that. It certainly is. So Rachel, when you were made redundant, that's when you started your business, isn't it? I started my business about two years later. So I took a year off um, nearly. I was suffering from depression at the time, partly caused because of the redundancy, but there were a lot of other factors involved in that. And it all kind of came to a head at the same time. So I did have a um, about a year, nearly a year off. <clears throat> I then when I thought I, I need to get out of the house, <laughs> I need to start earning some money for my, you know, for my own, you know, sense of self-worth as much as anything. So um, I got myself a um, job in a shop in town, you know, in retail. Uh, I've always worked in retail when I was at university. I actually love retail. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a job that I, do, I enjoy. So I started doing that part time. Of course, by the time I'd left, I was nearly running the shop because... <laughs> while I was doing that it was only like 10 20 hours a week that I was doing that I was still um in my part time I was um, in my own time I was writing and when I was at the bank even though I left my job at the bank um it wasn't very creative and I'm quite a creative person so what I had done was I started a lifestyle blog uh, before everybody was doing that, it was like two, 2012, 2013. Um, and I had my lifestyle blog and I was talking about uh, makeup and fashion and travel and eating out and interiors and that kind of thing. Um, and if you look now, you can still probably find my lasagna recipe somewhere on the, <laughs> on the internet. And someone that I had worked with in the past when I had my first company um, back in the early two, um, 2000s, um, the, the girl who was doing my PR for me had seen that I was been doing this lifestyle blog. And at this point, she was running her own PR company. And she just contacted me about, it's about two years after I'd been made redundant in the end. And she, she dropped me a line and said, I've seen your, your blog. I think it's great. Um, 
are you interested in writing for my business? And I'd never written for business in the past, but, you know, specifically, I'd always been in charge of writing newsletters and everything in every role that I'd ever been in, <laughs> you know, since leaving university. And she said, would you be interested in doing that? And I thought, well, why not? I might as well earn some, some extra money on top of my other job. And basically it snowballed um, from there. So I was writing for her. I was writing for her clients. And then people would ask me, oh, Rachel, what are you up to now? And I just tell them, oh, I know somebody needs that. And um, less than a year later, I didn't have time to do my part-time job anymore. So here we are five years later. What a fantastic story. I actually don't think I ever asked you around that. And okay. it just goes to show how a hobby turned into a business, really. Yeah. And I mean, writing is, um, like I say, going back to that original passion. I always, you know, I was the girl sat in the corner writing stories, reading books. I went to university because I wanted to be a journalist. I was on all, you know, I was done the school newspaper, the college newspaper, the university newspaper. I did all that. And then I lost the passion. I got sucked into something else. And then, I mean, and also when I left university, writing on the internet wasn't a job. It didn't exist. <laughs> so uh, and had it had been, well, we, we might be having a different conversation right now, but it didn't exist. But I found my way back to that, or it found its way back to me. And that's when I realised, oh, now I'm doing what I want to do. Really love that. Actually, I'm going to ask you a bit of a cheeky question. Can you tell us, because I know I've obviously worked in your programme, you and I have worked together as well as become very good friends. Mm. One of the questions was about what it was you wanted to do when you were a child. What do other people answer with that question? What do people kind of come up with? And does that align with what their businesses turn into? So a lot of people, um, yes, nearly everybody, it aligns with what it is that they, they're doing now in their business when they find me. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, I like playing outside or I like being creative. It's, it's very much the, um, the creativity that you have and, you know, um, helping people and, you know, um, playing with your dolls and, and kind of solving problems. And it's absolutely, um, you know, I did this in my group program last, last week and everybody with what they're doing now, they were absolutely interested in when they were little. I mean, and I remember being at primary school, um, knowing that I wanted to have my own business. So absolutely, you know, even though, you know, I was interested in reading and writing and, and, and everything, that was very much part of who I was as a child, but that running my own business was also very randomly important to me. So um, yeah, I, I think in, all the times that I've run my program, I think there's only one person who I've not been able to link back what they're doing now to their passions at that kind of that, that early age directly. That's so, so fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. So anyone that's listening now, perhaps gone through a redundancy journey or maybe wanting to completely come out of the corporate landscape or maybe just wanting to upskill in their career, what would your few kind of self-coaching questions would you put out there for people that are listening to this now so I would ask yourself you know what is it that you bring to the world what makes you so unique what is your superpower and don't try to 
link that superpower to a job role or a business or just think what it is that you know people always say oh that's that's so you or you know you you have conversations with people and they go oh my god you know thank you for your you know your view on that or your your perspective on that and then just kind of sit with that and see where that takes you you know I find you know I started my business writing for for people and writing their copy and their content but I quickly discovered that actually um, yes, I'm good at writing, but my real superpower was taking their thoughts out of their head and making them coherent, putting them into a message for them that really resonated with them. Because yeah, I'm good. At, I'm good with words. Absolutely, that's what my superpower is. And um, you know, then it's okay. So that's who I am. That's what I'm good at. Let that sit for a while and then decide what to do with it. But also don't ever feel that you have to box yourself in or pigeonhole yourself into something. You don't have to make one decision and stick with it. Yeah. You know, that is something I think, especially as women, we're very um, aware of being judged for changing our minds and for being maybe flighty and, or um, unreliable. It's like, no, nobody else has to live with your decisions other than you so you are the only only person who gets to make those decisions and you base them on your own thoughts not on other people's opinions because other people's opinions will never pay your bills oh absolutely I couldn't agree more thank you Rachel I could literally sit and talk to you all day and I feel so inspired after talking to you today on the first episode of speak female so thank you so much again for joining me Thank you for having me. Like I said, it is an absolute pleasure to be here and I can't wait to watch you grow this podcast and your business and um, just get out there and help and inspire so many women in the workplace. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. Thank you. If this episode has inspired you, then please rate, review and share this podcast. I've been joined by Rachel Porcella. I've been your host, Lucy Grimwade. This podcast has been edited by Natalia Holly. And remember, ambition isn't a dirty word.